This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're having a yarn with Logan Ty. Logan owns and runs LJT Harvesting, a professional kangaroo harvesting business with two chillers based in Coonabarabran. Logan is an avid listener to the Seeds for Success podcast and was keen to educate more people about the kangaroo industry. In this episode, Logan talks to us about the industry, including what's involved in harvesting kangaroos and what the meat is used for. Logan is passionate about what he does and he believes in the sustainability of the industry, the quality of the product and the welfare of the roos. You'll also hear how Logan aims to build a trusted relationship that provides a valuable service through helping farmers reduce their grazing pressure and control their invasive pests. For him, it's a partnership between farmers and harvesters. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Callan Thompson, sat down for this chat with Logan just before he headed out to work for the night. Well, today I'm with Logan Ty. Logan's probably the first rue harvester that we've spoken to, I think, in our podcast. And I got the idea for doing this podcast while Logan and I were driving around in my ute and I was showing him around my place and started asking him some questions about the industry and and where the product went. And I thought there's a lot of farmers that are probably pretty interested in how brews are harvested and what their product is. So Logan, can you tell me a bit about what a night looks like for a brew shooter? Oh mate, nights can look very different. Depends on the place you go, depends on the weather, depends on all that sort of stuff. You can go out and you can go to a good place where you know you're going to shoot your 10 and your 20, or you can go out to some little blocks where you could surprise yourself and you could shoot your one or your two, or you could shoot your 10. It just depends on the night and depends on the roos and it's all that sort of stuff. Obviously, your bigger places with a bit more scrub hold a fair few more roos, so you're going to get better nights on that, but depends. I imagine weather still plays a fairly big part in yeah, it. Yeah, the rain at the moment, it plays a very big part. And with the feed around at the moment, it spreads the roos out a bit. They're not mobbed up like they normally are, so it makes them a bit harder to find. Around here, they're just coming back, coming in the spring. A bit of clover, they're sort of chasing that. And the crops, they're coming off that a little bit now. They're a little bit higher, but they're still there, still poking around. A bit of wet weather. You'd be risk of getting brogged. I know there's a few times you've had a yeah. few um, hairy situations on my place. Yeah, definitely. There's a couple of wet spots around, but you just you got to know your country sorter and you just get around it. No one wants to go and cut up tracks for a farmer. It doesn't look real good, and no one wants to spend half a night bogged either. No, for sure. Wind did play a bit of an issue as well, would it? Yeah, wind depends on your rifle, what rifle setup you got, but it makes them a bit flighty. Obviously, it's hard to shoot in wind, but you can overcome it. Just depends how much wind you've got. I've known you for. Well, since you're a little kid, I used to work with your mum and you'd come in after school and colour in and do your homework Play and stuff like that. with the out in the front garden there. Yeah, yeah. That's the storage right. plant. It was great. <laughs> How did you get into roo shooting? Mate, i got a cousin who you know. He's pretty big. He really got me into it. He really got the passion for it. Obviously, as a child, as a young kid, I was shooting with my father and that sort of stuff. He's not a roo harvester, but my cousin, he really, he set me up pretty well. That's where I got my passion from. Yeah. No, I know who you're talking about. Him and I are good mates from early age, I think, and yeah. he's always been fairly passionate about pig uh, chasing and shooting. He's, he's still very passionate about his roots. He loves it. He eats, sleeps, breathes it. He's, yep. Yeah, he's really put my foot in the door and I can't thank him enough. Yeah, okay. 
And you mentioned you used to go shooting a lot with your dad, and I think your dad was actually the first person to ring me. Is he still involved with the yeah, roost shooting or just comes he, out as a bit the, of a the hobby? Old bo- the old boy comes out and opens some gates and he doesn't tell me what I'm doing wrong because I know I'm a bit of a better shot than him. And he knows that as well. But, yeah, he keeps you awake and he bit of conversation in the paddock's always good, always makes the night go a bit quicker and, it, yeah, I'd be lost without him too. I remember talking to your mum once. She was doing a bit of paperwork for you in the early days? Yeah, she did a fair bit of paperwork. She's pretty handy with that. She'd do my numbers and that sort of stuff when I was going off to work and she had a couple more hours than me. My parents really helped me out a lot with running yep. the box. It's a bit of godsend, really. I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a passion, definitely. So once you've shot a roo, what does field harvesting look like? Right, so you shoot your roo, you go pick it up, drag it or drive to it. If you're lucky enough, you can drive to it. Then you put it on the back of your rack. Depends on which company you might take the tail off or you might leave the tail on and then just swing them up on the back of your ute and they sit through the pelvis and they don't touch the floor so they don't get contaminated in that way. Do you leave in like livers? Liver, liver, heart, lung, that all stays in. Yeah. Yep. And that's so they can tell if yeah, they're they healthy? Yeah, they can run tests on those and tell if they're healthy and obviously tell if they've got any conditions, worms, that sort of stuff. Oh, cool. Once you've got them on the back of your ute, where do they go from there? I own a chiller in Coonabarabin. I own two chillers. They go to there and then I sell to a company called Macro Meats. So they go to Adelaide essentially in a truck, takes them to Adelaide and they export. And it's also on your shelf at Woolies. What size roos are you looking for? Well, anything really. We've got a minimum weight of 15 kilos for the national parks. So anything over that is fair game, good to take really, that up to your bigger stuff. Obviously, there's a general consensus that most roos shooters want to take the big ones, which is handy, more money, but if you're doing it properly, you take whatever you can get, really. And so what's the market for those smaller guys, I guess? Oh, uh, well, it's, it's all the same. So you just get paid per kilo. Yeah. So whatever reissue, it's all per kilo. So it just depends on how heavy it is, really. You're obviously looking to get rid as many as you can for the farmer and for yourself because the more you get, the more money you generate, obviously, and you keep your farmer happy. And once they're at the processor, where does that meat then go to? Well, yeah, like I said, it goes to Woolies or it gets exported overseas. I'm not quite too sure where they export to, but I know generally it's about 60 countries okay. that you can buy room meat in. And is the majority of it pet food or some human consumption? No, well? so all your bucks are human consumption to keep the consistency in the meat. Yep. And your does are in your pet food. Okay. So, like, I imagine there's a level of accreditation and training that you have to go through? Yeah, so it's pretty tough. Well, it's not really tough, but it's a bit to get into. You've got to be pretty passionate. So you've got to do a shooting course, which is a paper test and a shooting accuracy test. You have to have your rack set up, and it's all got to be accredited by Safe Food. And then you have to be approved for a National Parks license to harvest your roos. And also, when you get on a farmer's place, they have to fill out a consent form for the National Parks so they know where all your roos are harvested. Yeah, that's about it. And you've got to order tags for each roux and all that sort of stuff. So what sort of training do you go through for the... The dressing side of yeah, it? Yeah, the dressing side. So the dressing side of it is a TAFE course that you do online and you have to go out with a harvester and they have to show you how to do it and you get photos and or a video taken of you and then you send that into the TAFE course and they approve you on that. And how often do you do your accuracy? The accuracy is every five years and your rack inspections every year and your national parks licenses every year. Yeah. How do you ensure quality? So you use sanitizer. You wash in between everything with sanitized water. My knives are dipped in sanitizer every time, which they're meant to be. Obviously keep them out of the dirt as much as you can. Keep them out of the grass as much as you can. You don't want any foreign contaminants in there. But you've got to be clean. It's not hard to be clean. 
Yeah, I noticed your ute's always pretty spotless. Yeah, the stainless steel, it's really good to clean. Yeah. It makes your life a whole lot easier. It's not like the old days of pig chasers driving through town with utes that were all yeah, sticky and horrible looking. Yeah, that's back in the old pet food days. They changed a lot since then, definitely. And I guess if you're having to do that shooting accuracy regularly, the animal welfare respect from the roos is pretty good. There's pretty much a roo standing in a paddock. Next minute it's dead and, and it's getting dressed. Yeah, the roo doesn't know what's happening. It doesn't feel a thing. Yeah. Doing accuracy tests. And I'm out in the paddock five to seven nights a week, a minimum of five nights a week. Like you keep your practice up pretty well. You get pretty good at it. Yeah. And I imagine you guys would be a lot better shots than a lot of farmers who are, yeah. are going out into the paddock <laughs> yeah, once or twice every couple of weeks. Yeah, well, we obviously need to shoot in the head. If we don't shoot in the head, we can be fined because it's not a humane kill. Our accuracy is pretty good. In my own words, yep. from what I see from the blokes I've got shooting for me, we take a fair few roos out of the area all week. So, yeah. It also saves the farmer a night who's been working all day going out shooting all night. Like, he might like it, it might be a bit of a passion for him, but at the end of the day, he doesn't have to get out and do it every night. Yeah, I guess from my point of view, you coming out here saved me a lot of time I can now spend with my family at night and not have to be out in the yeah, well, paddock it. in the cold. It's no cost to have a roo shooter at all. Like, there's no cost to it. It's all basically free. We're helping each other out. In a sense, I'm helping you with your crop and your pasture, keeping the roos off it, and you're helping me by obviously make money out of it. And I love it. It's a passion for me. It's not a job. Yeah. I noticed in the drought, even paddocks that we'd completely destocked of sheep or cattle were still getting heavily grazed by roos, and, and it was causing some pretty bad ground cover issues. In the drought, it was easier to shoot roos than when it's wet, obviously, because there's not as much feed. So you could really clean up the roos, but there was a big problem with roos in the drought. It was very noticeable. And now you can notice they're still there. They haven't died off like people said they have. They're just more spread out. They're all covered in the scrub. They've got plenty of food, plenty of water. They don't have to come out if they don't want to. But now they're chasing the clover and that it's a bit richer. They'll end up poking out a bit more coming in the spring and summer. They'll definitely be out. Is it hard to find farms to actually harvest? It is and it isn't. Some farmers are a bit different about it. Some are like, you're really approachable. I've known you since I was a kid, basically. Yeah. Being around the area, I've known a lot of people. And then you get on some people's properties and word of mouth gets around. And yeah, it works out pretty well. Word of mouth's around about me now. And I don't really have to chase country and door knock like I used to. But also, I don't have country coming in every week. Yeah, you just got to be presentable, know what you're talking about, basically, and just be yourself. Word of mouth in small rural towns does travel. If you weren't doing a good job for a farmer, yeah, people soon know that, about that's it, it. It's in my completely best interest to do everything right by the farmer, not leave gates open, not leave tracks through paddocks, not do the wrong thing essentially, not shoot top wires or fences. Like roof shoot is pretty respectable. We know if we do the wrong thing, it comes back to bite us at the end of the day and it's not good for anyone. Even though you do love it, it is a job. Yeah. And you've got to be professional about 100%, it. 100%. You've got to be very professional. It is a job. But they say if you like your job, you never work a day in your life. And that's that's exactly what it's like yep. for me anyway. You work full-time during the day as well. Yeah. How do you manage working all day and then not sleeping at yeah. night? You get in a routine. You definitely get in a routine. There's some days you're a bit doughy, but you push through. Like I said, it's a passion for me. So you got to know your limits as well. You obviously don't want to drive tired. You're endangering yourself and other people. and That's not a great thing, but you got to know your limits basically. And so Logan, I've noticed when I drive into my paddocks, I often see the dead fox and dead pig and you always give me a rundown on what pigs you've seen and things like that. 
love knocking over pigs. They're very destructive. You know yourself seeing it in your own crops. They just get in there and they dig and dig and dig. And foxes the same around lambing time. Foxes are terrible. I always knock down foxes especially. And I think that's a part of the industry that people don't know or don't understand is that you guys are actually taking a lot of those feral animals that we're yeah. working really hard to control out of the system as well. Yeah, and that's it. And obviously with harvesting kangaroos, if a farmer's going out and shooting himself, he's leaving them in a paddock and they're going to sit there and they're going to stink. He doesn't have to deal with that. He doesn't have to drive past a paddock of oats that he wants to have a look at and goes, ah, oh, I don't like driving here because it stinks foul. He doesn't have to worry about that. It's a bit different, but if you've got gut piles there, you're going to have foxes coming in as well. So you know you can go there and you can clean up a couple foxes as well and pigs. Same goes for pigs. Yeah. And I guess you're removing that meat, that high-protein meat that allows pig numbers to really build Thrive, up and, yeah. and fox numbers to build up too. Yeah. Can't get them all, but you can do your best. Like you can you can clean a fair few up in a night. And the foxes are pretty tricky to shoot, I'm not going to lie, but nine times out of ten you'll get them. Yep. So, Logan, one of the first things I think you and I had a yarn about was biosecurity. So for me on my own farm, biosecurity is really important and, and it's a message from LLS that we're always spruiking is that clean on and off. How do you manage that side oh, of things? Basically blow the ute out every afternoon and wash it out. You can't get 100% out, but you can do your best to limit it. You can take all the mud out. Saffron thistles are bad. They get everywhere in your radiator, grass seeds, all that sort of stuff. You've got to do your best to get it out basically. If you're turning up on farm and, and your ute's messy, it's not a great look. It's not desirable. Like I said, it's not hard to be clean. It might take you an hour to wash your ute or you might just do it when you get home while you're still awake and clean it out so then you're ready to go the next day. But, yeah, biosecurity is a big thing and a lot of farmers always talk about biosecurity as well. That's good to know. It's often <laughs> I'm wondering whether our message is getting through. But no, it definitely is, especially you see all the signs on the gate and everything now, the biosecurity signs. So there's a lot of farmers around here that are really into it, Yeah, awesome. which is good to see. Yeah. Is there any new technology that you guys are starting to use or that you can see being used in the future? I've seen a lot of shooters, I don't have it myself, but they're using thermal. So it cuts down on the light, which then spooks the roos. It's a very easy way to spot something in a paddock. You obviously see the bright red glow and you can make it out what it is perfectly. You can see the size of the animal, same with foxes, pigs, roos, anything. That's one thing I've seen that's a really big advancement. But I, like I said, I haven't got it myself or used it. But I know a bloke that has got it and he loves it. And I imagine that's fairly expensive technology yeah. now, but hopefully it'll come down a bit in the Ho future. Hopefully it'll come down. It is pretty expensive. You can get cheaper versions, but if you're doing it full time, you sort of want the, the best one you can get or a mid one. But yeah, it's pretty handy from what I've seen. And I'm still the old spotlight and scope sort of bloke, like old faithful. That's what shooters have been doing for years. It works efficiently, it's easy, but it's fail-safe as well. Yeah. But, yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah. What's the plans for the future? Is roo shooting a long-term job for you? I'm about to start another apprenticeship, Yeah, but I'll still be doing my roos, so I'll be able to make that work again. So that'll be my second apprenticeship, but it's definitely a long-term goal for me. Like I've got my two boxes here. I've got a fair few blokes shooting for me. They pretty well run themselves, like, there's a bit in running the chiller, you've got to do your daily temps every day and you've got to check your box, make sure it's running right. You've got parameters in times where it's got to be cooled down and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's definitely a long-term plan for me. I'd love to retire early and keep doing it, but just depends on what happens, I guess. And in managing all those brew shooters that are delivering to your boxes, that do they deliver only to you or do they deliver to other boxes? No, well, they only deliver to me as far as I know, obviously. We've got an invoice system. So I supply a book. They write down their ruse, their weights, where they were shot. So you need a pick number as well, where they were shot. And you've got tag advice numbers that helps both of us because then we both have to log them in a system for the national parks. 
monthly and the box has got to be done weekly. That just shows the national parks for that with their numbers and all that sort of stuff. So it sounds like there's a fair bit of paperwork involved. Oh, there's definitely a lot of paperwork in it. It's a very regulated game. And I guess it needs to be to make sure you're not taking too many roos and also keeping that quality. That's it. Like your pick numbers trace it as well. So trace it to the place they come off. The quality is a big thing, but it's pretty well regulated. Yeah. No worries, mate. Well, thanks so much for your time. No, no worries. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been good for us all to get a better understanding of where yeah, these well, roos go. It's good. it's good to shed some light on it. We're here to help, basically. Cool. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.